feel like at a loss for words or what to say leading into this. Um, I don't know. So a little bit lost. I think like because last week we were like in space and stuff and at least we thought we were. And uh, mm. I feel like that's embarrassing. It was, uh, yeah, just a really bad time in my life and uh, something that I wasn't sure I'd ever be comfortable with uh, getting out there. But it turned out that, um, you know, I was, you know, still a little bit buzzed and didn't realize that I was going to send our most embarrassing moment as a podcast out into the world. Um, but it, it's out there. I mean, no one wants to be the person that like is at the brunt of someone just really yelling at them. And uh, now the world like it's out there and they heard us, you know, literally getting like what I guess would be described as a bollocking from uh, an Uber driver. Uh-huh. And uh the and now have a zero star rating and I'm no longer allowed to, to use the app. So I got banned, got banned from Uber. So, um, it's a dark day. There's no way left. <laughs> Welcome to the pod, Charles Cinecast. Uh, presented by the Prince Charles Cinema. <laughs> This is your host, John the Foster, and I am here today with a boy who has a coffee mug in his hand. He's our little, what is he, uh, telekinetic boy. Oh, boy. He's our little, <laughs> oh boy. he's our little capsule boy. Uh, Phil. He's a little, I'm little like, uh, like Bethnali aged child in a bubble. <laughs> well, that's what we've been reduced to during this whole lockdown is uh, <laughs> Little tiny. Yeah, I've aged about aged fifty men. years <laughs> in like six months. I feel yeah. like I've lived my life, and now I'm coming back to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, cu- <laughs> you know, nice. Yeah. It's like a, a new lease on life thing, but also like I'm ready to die. Yeah, sort of <laughs> aspect to it. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I've come to the end. It's yeah. the end of the world. You know. It's uh, World War Three or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to enjoy the coffee, but I burnt my mouth, the top of my mouth, on a cheese toasty a couple of days Ooh. ago. Uh, have you ever had that? And yeah. it's like it's like the f- layer of it's just it's the um, worst. It's yeah. just there, and like everything I touch, it cold or hot, hurts. But like I want coffee, <laughs> and I'm gonna keep hurting myself i mean that's a good yeah. analogy for my life really and this podcast <laughs> and this podcast for sure <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how are you yeah Jonathan! <laughs> Phil! <laughs> i guess i can i can uh i can use your government name felipe <laughs> there we go my government name we figured don't it government out. name me <laughs> uh yeah i'm okay man i'm really tired i've been working a lot this week because <laughs> we've opened the doors oh. of the cinema and uh i've been staying up really late uh every night 
to watch baseball. Uh, I stayed up until five <laughs> five in the morning this morning, and uh, I fucking wired on coffee. <laughs> and I'm really tired, but it's okay. I'm gonna get through this episode. Uh, it's hopefully gonna be pretty short, which is good for me. Probably bad for your listeners. Actually, probably better for the listeners. Good God, good God, what did we do last yeah, week? I was editing fun. this thing, and I'm like, this is crazy. Um, so apologies, but uh, you know, I did see someone this morning. <laughs> you know, asking where they can get their tubs of asset before 2001 A Space Odyssey and job well done us. Cause you know, that's all I want it is just the least. And the answer is, um, you know, by the uh, fire exit around the back of the building. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be in the print shop cinema t-shirt. <laughs> Pulling a Kevin Smith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm okay though. I'm I'm actually feeling pretty good, man. My baseball team that I've been following, I was mentioning, they're doing well, the man. Brave. The Braves, they are. Although by the time this goes out, this series will be over. So uh, I I will be either really that was quick. I'll be either uh, very happy or very sad um, by the time this episode goes out. <laughs> I don't know how did it work. Like I've forgotten everything about Moneyball. Did they did they make it? To the playoff is it the playoff now are they in yeah the running it's in the play yeah they're Point. in the playoffs. how are they now. doing uh yeah they're in the uh nationally championship championship series which is the last okay good. of the national league thing and then if they win this they go to the world series and they are up three games Whoa. to one on the los angeles dodgers Ooh. it's a best of seven series so they need to win one more game to go forward to the World Series uh, for the first time since 1999, I think. And yeah, they're yeah, playing like that. the best team in baseball, pretty much. I mean, the Dodgers are basically like the best team. I mean, come on. They're crazy. They're they were good. better when they were the Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember. were better when you Pepper could get on corned beef. <laughs> Just watch the old Brooklyn Dodgers play. Sure. So, yeah. Oh, we are open at the Prince Charles Cinema. My God, Phil, have you worked yet? No, tomorrow at the, the, the time of this recording. Yeah. When the episode goes out, you would have worked. So how did it go? We love doing that. You know, uh, we're future seers, oh, yeah. man. This is time traveling. We time travel. We see into the future. We prognosticate. It's really good. So by the time this goes now, I would have worked three days in a row, and I'm uh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, but I want uh, I want I want to say it went great. I mean, I walked by the place the other day, and it was fucking busy. <laughs> Like busier than it should have been, but it was great to see. Just like outside, yeah, people, it's just out and about, yeah. Um, inside, it was like the like two people allowed at a time with the queue, yeah. Um, but it went, yeah, it's great. It's, it's going great. Um, people seem to be really happy to be coming, being able to come back yeah. to the cinema, which is nice to see. Yeah, it was good. From all the reports I've seen of from the people on site, it seems like it's going really swell. Everyone's being really nice and following all the rules and everything and uh yeah just being really good about all the protocol that's set up and that's good because we have a lot it's you know like i was saying last week i know it's kind of scary the whole thing because obviously we've got you know changes to what's going on every single day it seems but uh 
you know, we're set up the best we can to be as safe as possible for everyone. We're set up, you know, hand sanitizer stations, social distancing, masks, and uh, our rinse air, hospital grade air purifiers. Uh, yeah, it, the works. We got it all set up as best as we can, going above and beyond to try to make you feel safer at the cinema. So hopefully, people go out to see some stuff if they feel comfortable if not if they're not ready yet then we're okay with that just uh if you can help out the cinema just try to help us out as much as you can uh even if it's just like telling your friends about us and keeping us uh in your thoughts and sending us nice positive vibes via social media and all that sort of stuff we always love seeing that so thanks to everyone who's done that so far good vibes only yeah good vibes only <laughs> keep those <laughs> keep your stupid comments in your pocket yeah <laughs> oh hi Greg <laughs> well fail it is uh still October Feel. and uh it is from what I've heard it is now week three in our highlighting of uh Black History Month here on the podcast here in the UK in October is Black History mm-hmm. Month mm-hmm. and we are giving out film picks each and every week of some of our favorite films from black cinema Phil, what is your pick this week? I'm torn between a few, but I know I'm going to say this one, so I'll say it now. And if you're a listener, you already know how much I like this movie. I think I went off about it on our like 2019 retrospective episode. <laughs> it's uh, Barry Jenkins' uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah, I thought that's what you were going to say. See, you know, you, you're a listener. Yeah. You, you remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you people know Barry Jenkins from Moonlight, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but Beale Street like really affected me in this really powerful way, and like beyond the movie, not just like wow, that was really great. So it's based off a James Baldwin novel, um, and I had obviously heard of James Baldwin, but that movie like it touched me so that it made me read the book, and I've read a few others by him, and like just fascinated by. It. Into work and just the whole thing with Beale Street, in that I don't really see, especially in this context, talking about Black Lives Matter and Black History Month, and we're talking about movies that are usually racially charged, politically charged. And this movie has that. It's the plot centered around this sort of huge injustice um, that ties into like the mass incarceration problem we have. Mm Um, but it's just really, it's just a love story. It's just a really well done love story. It's really delicate and intimate and emotional and beautiful to look at. Barry Jenkins is like up there with Demi and PTA in terms of like close ups, right? And you just, you just, you just look like into the eyes of every character and you're like, you can see a whole world and a whole life taken advantage of and taken for granted by the system. But, there's so much focus on the little moments that make them who they are and make the relationship. And you realize that's what you're really losing. And that's what makes a life worth living. That's a really deep uh, like examination of it, but it's just a really wonderful story. At the very least, it's a beautiful movie to look at and to explore. And I just really like it. I wish more people had seen it. It didn't get much coverage for some reason. Yeah. Especially right after Moonlight. Mm-hmm. I was surprised, but I, 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 I really love that movie. Um, I think everyone should watch it and then go read Just Loads of James Bond. <laughs> That's a good shout. I've still, unfortunately, not seen If Bill Street Could Talk. I've, I've been like meaning to since last year when we had it, but like I think we only had it for a limited time and I wasn't able to catch yeah, it. a few days. So. 
But yeah, that's definitely on the list. I need to finally watch that because I've heard nothing but good things. And also, like, you've sung his praises, like you said, since like our sort of wrap up last year. So, yeah, definitely a good shout. What you got? My pick this week is uh, from the Hughes brothers, who were also responsible for Menace to Society, but. That's a good one. My pick is their 1995 crime thriller, Dead Presidents, which is, uh, I think overall, Menace to Society is like a solid film. I feel like it sort of goes like really nicely, like hand in hand with the film, like my last, my pick last week, uh, Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood. But uh, I I feel like uh, Dead Presidents, there's something about it. Like it's just, I feel like uh, they, they took what they sort of learned from a really early start with minister society and just sort of built this like really solid mm-hmm. film with uh dead presidents uh have you seen that film yeah but not in ages yeah so for like listeners out there if you've not seen it because I, I don't know how popular it is over here um i remember i i did use it once as a uh as a selection for our name the frame like as a one of those things we do yeah, where we like yeah. just put like a weird image and try to see if people can guess what film it is and it's like hardly anyone <laughs> could figure it out it lasted for like a couple of days which was really awesome but uh anyway it stars uh lorenz tate who's in menace to society and then also chris tucker's in it keith david's in chris it tucker, yeah keem woodbine's in it so it's like a really awesome cast and it's just follows like a young black man who has to go off to vietnam and when he comes back he's like struggling with like ptsd and like basically using alcohol to like to medicate and he's struggling to support himself and he has to like resort to basically a heist um to support himself and yeah it's just like overall i just think like the film's just like a really good example of how like particularly like veterans of color are neglected by the u.s government and with many of those like soldiers returning from like Vietnam, but then also like even previous wars, like World War II and stuff, just being denied benefits and still treated as second class citizens, despite them putting their lives on the line for the country. And um, I think it pairs really nicely, actually, with the five bloods, which we talked about, you know, a few months ago. I was about to say, yeah, so definitely. It's like it's a really good film. I think stylistically, it's just really it, like it feels really cool. Like I always sort of love like sort of a heist film as well. Um, and it's it's not a heist film per se, but it has like a heist in it. And it's like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it just has that sort of vibe. It's not like same thing. It's not a war film, but it has a war in it. And there's some pretty like intense war scenes in it. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's fun. it just and also just like the whole thing when they're in the heist and they paint their faces white with the black eyes it's just like such a striking image and like i love that like you know you have like santana and ortiz like (laughs) the formerly lax but over they're still doing it on a like painting their faces like that when they go into like really fucking like intense matches and stuff it's like it's just cool to see that like as a thing that has like obviously influenced their lives and stuff like that's like yes. the, I don't know, it's just the power of cinema just being like fucking cool, <laughs> like a cool image. <laughs> so yeah, I really like that film. Uh, so check it out. Like I said, it's Dead Presidents, and Phil's pick this week is If Bill Street Could Talk. So yeah, good picks. 
uh, I'm not sure how many more weeks we have of this left. Uh, one or two. One or two. All right. So we mentioned we're open. We're finally open at the Prince Charles Cinema. This is kind of funny because we're doing these uh, episodes sort of a little bit earlier than we had been in the past. And now we're kind of talking about what's on at the Prince Charles Cinema. So what's going on this week from Friday, the 23rd of October. So. We're really getting into the heart of our horror October program now. Things are getting a little bit more spooky, ooky at the cinema. <laughs> so this week we have the likes of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, Mary Heron's American Psycho, shown from 35 millimeters. <laughs> no relation. And Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, all screening. The shitting throughout the week, day like almost daily, if not daily, from Friday the twenty third. That's sick. Ooh. Like you could literally show all three of those films all day long. Uh, you know that's your program, and that'd be badass. But hey, what we still have another week of uh, Sofia Coppola's On the Rocks. If you've not got a chance to check that out, apparently it's a really fun, fun, fun comedy drama. I've not seen it yet, but our Powell, shout out Paul. Paul uh, loved it. Shout out Paul. And uh, yeah, he said it's great. So it's been a couple of weeks since he's gotten a shout out. So there you go, Paul. I know you listen to this sometimes. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Stop messaging us. In the week, you can also find uh, Cinema Paradiso screening from a brand new restoration. And we also have the legendary Studio Ghibli film Spirited Away playing throughout the week. So there's a lot of good stuff. And also you can find, you know, unfortunately for you and awesome for us, sold out screenings of The Craft, Hocus Pocus, and A Nightmare on Elm Street screaming throughout the week. But the thing is, they are sold out. But, you know, sometimes tickets do come back. And if they pop back on sale, then, hey, jump in, get one. Go see an awesome film. Because come on, The Craft, badass witch movie. Hocus Pocus, <laughs> which is for Dave. badass witch movie. <laughs> 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 a no, Nightmare on Elm Street. Street. I mean, come on, Freddy Krueger, he's a, he's a witch. <laughs> he's a <Yes>. witch. Bill, <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you really hyped for in the week? I mean, I'm hyped for Nightmare on, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And we got a great horror program in general. It like it's one that's like I always get to watch some new stuff. Like I've never seen the craft. I'd like to check that out. Ooh. Um, but you get some of my like classic that I always love to watch around the time of year. Like Psycho's a good one. Yeah, just funny pairing with American Psycho. That would call. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, but my the thing I would be most excited about is what we're about to talk about. Oh well, that would. That's just nice that you've brought that up because that's next on the list. Also. <laughs> starting from friday the 23rd of october and our highlight this week on the podcast it is akira
<laughs> Neo Tokyo 2019. We just met that. The city is being rebuilt post World War III when two high school biker gang members, Kaneda and Tetsuo. Kaneda! <laughs> Tetsuo! Okay, keep doing that. Yeah. Stumble across a secret government project to develop new weapons. Telekinetic humans! <laughs> After what? an injured Tetsuo is captured by the military and experimented on, he gains psychic abilities and learns about the existence of the project's most powerful subject, Akira. Both dangerous and destructive, Kaneda must take it upon himself to stop Tetsuo before things get out of control and the city is destroyed once again. It's the 1988 Japanese animated cyberpunk masterpiece from Katsuhiro Otomo, based on his manga of the same name. Phil, hot takes out the gate. Come on. I mean, give it to me. Masterpiece is fucking right. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Man, fucking, I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw that shit around lightly, but it's easily just one of the best anime ever made. Mm-hmm. One of the great movies never made. Just I, I'm so excited to talk about. It. I was so excited to rewatch it. Last time I watched it wasn't that long ago. I think it was like last year at the Prince Charles Cinema. Yeah, but like I remember that screening really renewing my love for it mm-hmm. because I'd never seen it in the cinema. And holy shit, is it like overwhelming? Yeah, to listen to. That's the hot take. It's great. I'm <laughs> I'm really sad that I've not seen it in the cinema properly. I've I've uh, been in. I've popped my head in a couple of times when we've had it on, like uh, just to kind of like see it and hear it over the years. Cause we've shown it like quite a bit since I've worked at the cinema and anytime it's sort of on, I like, I, if I can, I'll pop my head in and see. In. just to like, yeah. cause it's, it's like so vivid and like <laughs> insane. It is like, if you've never seen this film, <laughs> that's my hot take out of the gate. Go out of your way to see it. If you, yeah. are a bit it. reluctant to see this film because it is a cartoon like check <laughs> yourself before you wreck yourself uh no go see it because it is like check it privilege. is like it's stupid good man like it's like unfairly good <laughs> like I, yeah i hadn't seen it in a while so it was really good to catch it again the other night and uh i put it on and it was just like from start to finish it was just like I had a bit of a smile on my face, that sort of like goosebumpy mm-hmm. feeling, like because it's insane. Like the music's ridiculous, and just like everything about it is just so well done. Like the sound design, the and then just the animation in general is unbelievable. Like just little things you notice, like the way their hair moves, and like it's crazy. It's so realistic looking, and like just really cool like crazy mm. colors as well and a cool story that's really trippy and it like funny enough had me sort of like this is the most perfect film to segue out of last week's film of 2001 a space Odyssey, <laughs> which is still showing Definitely. in this coming week that we're in now the episode goes out on a monday you'll have the whole week to still catch 2001 a space odyssey 
And then also in the week we're talking of from Friday the 23rd, when Acura starts at the cinema, there'll still be a couple of uh, showings of 2001 Space Odyssey on 70 millimeter, maybe even on the same day. I'm not sure. But you can double up and create this weird future world crazy <laughs> experience for yourself. It's a, it's, a, it's a super baby double bell. It really is. It. Yeah. It yeah. is very thematically similar um with mm. the sort of i guess because the way akira like the whole idea is that they these kids have this power and that uh that they're young and they they basically use it for good but when tetsuo gains this power like unlocks this power because it's sort of like every human has it it, it sounds so much like last week yeah. when we were talking about like human evolution but <laughs> it literally like the is next step. the next step and that like the power is too strong for and it's too intense for humans especially adults because they are too set in their ways to use it correctly like, they have their own bias and, yeah. and but it's already started and it had already begun <laughs> so yeah i mean it's uh <laughs> it's crazy how well it sort of fits I was sort of stunned by that and I was just like it made me even more excited to talk about it. Me but too. Yeah, it's, it's it's insane. Yeah. And plus I think it I think you could say that any week because it's so you forget until you watch it how yeah. influential Absolutely. this movie is. Everywhere. Like you see it everywhere. It's like I mean the the most obvious mm-hmm. parallel with the Matrix, um, which takes the, the idea into a different direction, but just visually it's very similar thematically similar um and yeah i mean there's even sort of moments that are like sort of shot for shot recreated in the matrix Mm -hmm. um but you see it everywhere like uh it like my it always goes hand in hand when i'm thinking about akira i think about kanye west yeah stronger (laughs) (laughs) the the bit stronger the video to stronger where he like recreated Mm -hmm. tetra breaking out of the hospital and like that, that famous tweet, I just wanted to bring up if I forgot that famous tweet where he's like, um, no way is the spirited away better than Acura. Like, um, and then he's like, sorry, I'm just watching a top 10 anime. And like, <laughs> got me mad. Or this is Kanye it, on it YouTube. Just, <laughs> just really fun. Like, yeah, literally you could just imagine him yeah. on YouTube and being like, clicking he's on just that. Like, like, that's bullshit. Yeah. He probably like got clicks baited into it as well. You know, like uh, YouTube is like, you just see like a yeah. click baity, like thumbnail or something. And you click on it and you're like, God damn it. This is fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm mad. Yeah. But no, Acura is um, yeah. everywhere. That It's a shame that kind of, that might hurt it. If you're watching it for the first time now, could even retroactively, you'd still be like, Oh, I've seen that done. I've seen that done. But either way, it's done remarkably well. And like you said, just as a visual piece of art, just like watching it, I'm like, this is why, like, this is what all my, like, childhood cartoons look like. They all took from Akira in the 90s. And I'm so glad they did. Just like the use of slow motion and like the colors and the lines, the technoir landscape. But this is all that, but for grown-ups. Absolutely. Very much. Yeah, that's the thing, again like we show like Ghibli films all the time. And like, I know some of them like will be more leaning towards an adult or something, but for the most part, they're very family friendly 
and sure. uh, they are great for children, but they yeah. also have that sort of side to them where they're they're just open for just adults to just inc- like enjoy incredibly because the stories are amazing and they're just really well animated and they're beautiful movies. Um, but this is like purely for adults. This is not for kids, and it like almost makes it better in that sort of way because you just like going into it, you know, this is meant for you as an adult. (laughs) Like, and you should like not think of it as being this like sort of cartoon. Like when I say masterpiece, I'm like, sometimes I throw that out as a joke on the podcast, but like, I'm not, I don't always throw it out very lightly and I'm not throwing it out lightly on this. This is like one of the best films ever made, period. Like it's incredible. Um, As I said, the film is based on Katsuhiro Otomo's, manga titled Akira. He directed it as well as creating the manga, which is badass because you don't see that often. A lot of times these mangakas no. uh, who create these amazing masterpieces pretty much just like are story based only after they've done these mangas or they're like sort of they're like a consultant. They're not they're, yeah, they're kept they're, at arm's length. Yeah. They're not really involved yeah, in the actual absolutely. adaptation. So yeah, they're more so consultants. Akira was Initially serialized on the pages of Young Magazine from 1982 to 1990. And yes, it was still ongoing while the film was made. Because like I said, this is a 1988 film. Uh, It was made and then the manga continued afterwards before it was collected into six Tonkaban volumes totaling more than 2,000 pages. Insane. It's really long. They're long, dude. Yeah. <laughs> They're like huge, big volume. And also, I looked up last night when I was doing some research on this. Young Magazine. <laughs> I was trying to like look it up to see what it was and stuff because I, I'm aware of like, there's like Shonen Jump and then there's uh, the older, like for the older kids, is mm. there's Young Jump Magazine. But Young Jump and Young Magazine yeah. are two different things. <laughs> and it turns out that there was like, so Young Magazine is this right. like similar to Young Jump and Shonen Jump and all that. It's a weekly anthology magazine that has all the different mangas, but it's like Sinan manga. So it's manga for like young adult men as opposed to Shonen, which is for young boys. But it turns out that all the magazines <laughs> covers, I don't know, back in the day when Akira was on there, or, but like today, basically just feature like all actual real life Japanese women in bikini. Like pretty voluptuous women like... <laughs> just out there on the front covers with like a few images of the manga <laughs> around them. <laughs> and like, I didn't even yeah. notice. I mean, you got to get the, you got to get the young adult. <laughs> you really couldn't even notice that it was even a manga magazine. Like I, it was just not, it, cause it's like, in, it's not even in color. It's not very vivid or anything. It's just this like big color image of a woman in a bikini. It's so weird. Anyway, very funny. I thought I had the wrong <laughs> magazine at first, but it wasn't. Well, it's like, um, like uh, when I was growing up, PlayStation Mag um, was very, <laughs> like, not for kids. Yeah. But, like, I read it. There was no <laughs> rating on them. But they had they had ads at, at the back for, uh, you know, back line and stuff. Yeah. And they'd have, because they were, again, when video games sort of grew up, they were marketing to an older generation, older kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And, but every cover, they managed to get an excuse for a scantily clad or <laughs> half-naked woman. Yeah. Usually, um, I mean, it was the field day when a fucking WWE, like, SmackDown vs. Raw game came out. Fucking, it'd be like, you know, 
whichever big diva at the time on the cover in a bikini. Yeah. And you'd be like, what's this got to do with fucking video games? And if like Grand Theft Auto came out, yeah. there'd be like an illustrated woman yeah. of like a girl with a gun and shit. But every game, if any fighting game, yeah. you know, it'd be like Chun-Li with the fucking leg <laughs> up and shit. It just, they'd always an excuse and it was weird then and it's weird now. Yeah, yeah. Also, I feel like Japan's always like, always felt like this, that they were like, it's they're it's crazy they're always like really technologically advanced there like and they're like world leading in technology and shit but like um when it comes to a lot of their culture they, they always feel like they're about 10 to 20 years behind like you know in the 2000s yeah, like 80s felt like it was the 80s. Shit. <laughs> now yeah literally uh, now all their like huge. anime starts to have this sort of like a little bit more 2000s sounding uh you know music in it and stuff yeah, totally. so now i'm starting to think okay well maybe they are stuck in the time where it was appropriate to have or not it wasn't even appropriate just maybe accepted culturally yeah. <laughs> fucking scantily clad women um on video game and covered a boy magazine <laughs> little boys magazines <laughs> yeah anyway it's funny gotta get them i guess how else you gotta get them to buy it <laughs> So the story of Akira was developed over time and it was influenced by earlier works of Otomo, such as his unfinished manga series called Fireball that he basically was just kind of like, yeah, I'm not digging this. And while he was sort of wrapping up with that, he started getting into doing a little bit of like film work and stuff, which I'll talk talk about in a second. But then he started to develop a later series that was more successful and it was called Domu. Both feature like sort of like children possessing like psychic powers and stuff. So it's a theme that he utilizes a lot in his works. Uh, initially, Otomo didn't intend to adapt the series of Akira in, outside of the manga, but but then he became like intrigued by an offer to develop the uh, work into a film. Like I said, he made his anime debut in 1982, working as a character designer on Rintaro's Armageddon, which was a Madhouse-produced ad- adaptation of the 1960s manga called Jinma Taizen, which is what it's called in Japan, but for some reason for Western audiences, they called it Armageddon, which is a really... Armageddon. <laughs> what? As if Armageddon wasn't a violent yeah, enough term. Armageddon. Uh, but yeah, this film yeah. would initially like and ultimately just feel like it was like a trial run for Akira, like, because the world had never really seen the sort of designs that Otomo's style sort of presented in that film. So, yeah, for sure. I, I don't know. Like, I was looking up some stuff about it. Like, some people seem to like it a lot because it's like a pretty weird film and pretty trippy. It's got some cool music <laughs> and stuff in it. Like, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer did some music for it. Uh, <laughs> Rintaro really wanted to get yeah. like Pink Floyd, but it was just too expensive to get them to do something. So, like, I don't know. They got like that would have been fucking cool. The yeah, dude from Emerson Lake and Palmer to do some stuff. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty Close wild. Enough. But it's got some cool like designs from Otomo. And while he was uh, working on Armageddon, he expressed he enjoyed working with people because as writing and illustrating a manga like that can be really lonely work. Just isolating. Uh, but he did notice that he didn't appreciate the way producers interfered with things. So he only agreed to adapt Akira if he had complete creative control. And he got it. Thank God yeah. he did. Thank God. Good. Because good God. Yeah. Oh my God. Could you could you imagine like a watered down, like really <laughs> like I mean it would just be like like when um when I first watched uh, Akira, I was a kid. 
and I wasn't um, too well versed in anime or even foreign movies. Mm-hmm. And my brother was like, "You have to watch it. You have to watch it. I'm telling you, you have to watch it." Yeah. And I was like, "Well, what what's it about?" And he's like, "It's about motorcycle gang." And I was like, "Oh, cool." Yeah. And that's like the one yeah. percent of what it's about. Very much. But so. that's about as much as you should know. But I imagine they could adapt it and it would essentially just become about that and it, the rest would really be <laughs> yeah. lost. Well, I mean, it's interesting you say that because it's like, I, I similar, similarly had a sort of fall, like running into it. I kind of meant to say this earlier, but like I said, I'm a bit uh, sleep deprived today. So uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm all over the place in my thoughts. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> yeah, the first time I saw it though, I was like, I was pretty young, um, maybe 12 13 uh mm. and i was like really into like dragon ball and i'll get into like the dubs yeah, and too. stuff later yeah. uh i have a little bit of info about like their whole dub yeah. thing but like i got into the pioneer dub of this because that was like it was like it was the gateway drug man it was like you had dragon ball uh sailor moon Gundam a bit. Sailor Moon. Uh, Dusty just got me into Sailor Moon. Fucking great. Yeah. Sailor Moon was the shit. Like it was, it was like yeah. everywhere as well. So yeah, you had like Dragon Ball, Sailor Moon that were really big, but then there was things like fucking Akira coming out that was just like insane. And it's like to see it was like just insane. And then of course, if you went further, like you would find like your Ghost in the Shells or your, you know, your yeah man. Uh, cowboy bebops and all that sort of stuff so and neon jello yeah and those are like literally you know it's funny because if you're really and i apologize if any of our listeners are really big into anime like i personally like i love a lot of the things that i mentioned earlier but at the same time i'm not like one of those people that got really into anime like i like some of the fringe stuff (laughs) and i have nothing against it it's just like i've never just had time to really dive into it but i appreciate it very much and i want to preface Mm that uh preface this with that because like i don't want people to be like oh you don't know what you're talking about and blah 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 uh but i will say that like acura is like the gateway drug and like it was it was like one of those things like (sighs) yeah you have no idea gets you in and it like i'll get more into it later but it really was like an important like piece of anime history to like really open the floodgates to the west game changing when Otomo had creative control, there was an what was called the Akira Committee was formed as a <laughs> partnership of several Japanese entertainment companies that were brought together to realize the production of the film. These companies were Kodansha Manichi Broadcasting System, Bandai, Hakuhodo, Toho. From Bandai. <laughs> Toho. Which is a I big name that some people would know. Uh-huh. Uh, Laser Disc Corporation and Sumitomo Corporation. Yeah. So this committee was largely formed due to the unconventionally high budget needed to achieve the desired standard of Otomo's manga, and all these companies. It's like that bit in the movie. Yeah, very much. <laughs> so. Like the board <laughs> yeah, arguing that, like, over, weird over like what to do with the Akira program. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, basically, the you know they they all like put forward money and promotion towards the film because they were all big corporations in Japan. And then the animation was provided by animation producers, Tokyo, Tokyo movie Shinsha, which is TMS entertainment, which I was looking up some of their stuff and they've done a lot of funny stuff in the, like in the West as well. Like they did, 
they animated like the first season of DuckTales. DuckTales. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. I love DuckTales. So, yeah, I mean, it's crazy because a lot of people like probably don't think about that much, but shit, a lot of the stuff that you might have grown up with as a kid was probably animated in Japan (laughs) just because they have just amazing ways to do it, even if it's in the American style. Uh, Speaking of the American style, the film is very notable for employing an American style in production because traditionally in Japanese animation, the studios would draw first and then they'll do the voice work later. But Akira did this in reverse with the actors pre-recording their dialogue and they were basically using like animatics, which were like, you know, those rough sort of storyboards or they'll be like rough Mm -hmm. versions of the animation this sort yeah, of look like not frame a, by frame. Yeah, it's just a yeah. bit like just to kind of get an idea of what it looks like. And then they were matching the lips of the characters to the actor's dialogue. That's a big thing that's done in American animation, but it's not really a big thing that's done in Japan. So it was it was kind of a big deal that Otomo decided to do that. Uh speaking of those actors, we can get into a little bit of the cast. To be honest, with us being like a podcast that's English language and largely from the Western world. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to know who a lot of these people are, to be honest. Uh, yeah. But I'll go through and I'll pick out a couple of things. They're all amazing. In this. Yeah, they are really, really cool. And I'll, I'll pick out a couple of, like, of the basically the main cast. Um, apart from the kids, There's I don't have much information, any information about them. But I'll pick out like a couple yeah. of main like main things that you might know some of these people from. Uh, so, obviously, you have Kaneda Shotaro. Kaneda! <laughs> who's played by Mitsuo Iwata, who is known for playing Kintaro Oi and uh, Golden Boy. That's, like, his big thing. It was, like, basically Kaneda and then Golden Boy. So, that was, like, two yeah, big roles. But absolutely awesome and also i think a good thing that we could probably do is maybe just talk about the characters themselves more so than the actors the voice actors who played them because i don't i you know i, I feel like i'm not going to do the justice to the voice actors again this is where i'm coming in as not being as experienced in anime because there's probably like mm-hmm. something that mitsuo iwata has done like that someone out there who's listening to this might just be like that's my favorite and i don't know <laughs> so, anyway but Kaneda is such a cool character he's like your typical sort of like cool. he can almost like blend in perfectly with like shonen uh shonen manga as well like an anime like being like mm. the young uh sort of carefree <laughs> sort of goofy character who is For like sure. the leader really funny. he's just really funny goofy like my background now I have that like goofy image of him just like cheesing oh yeah he's in the police station <laughs> so fucking yeah just funny. fucking lying through his teeth yeah it's great but he is uh what is he the leader of the capsules the, the capsule gang and i don't know something about that makes me think we need to call snack time snack time Snack time. Quarantine. 
Yes. Anime edition. Anime edition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is uh, a really last minute snack time. I didn't have any pill or anything to take. Um, I could take some ibuprofen, but I feel fine. You know? Yeah. Uh, that'd be a weird thing to review on a podcast. I feel like I'm breaking some rule. <laughs> but like, you know, yeah. um, uh, should, should I go first? I go have ahead. a lackluster one, but it's good. It's, um, there's something new that I've tried this week and it's a classic. We're talking about a classic, but it's a yeah. classic with a spin. I think I've done the OG one on the podcast before, but it's, um, it's chocolate di- digestive, but it's the thin. Oh, the thins. Mm. It's the thin nice. milky chocolatey goodness. I had nice never one. tried these before this week. Um, and so I'm going to pretend to try them for the first <laughs> time now. <laughs> Um, already knowing how I feel about them, but you know, you can get the box and stuff. They come weirdly packaged, but they're like a digestive chocolate on one side, biscuit on the bottom. But they're really they're like paper, they're like wafer, and they go down like nothing. Tis wafer, and thin. they're quite quiet. <laughs> Tis wafer, and um, <laughs> I mean, they're great, they're yeah. exactly what you think, yeah. They're still all the filling goodness of a regular digestive, but just smaller, so you feel better about yourself. Yeah, but then you end up eating like double the amount you would eat of a normal digestive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, yeah. Well, how many uh, capsules are you giving it? <laughs> it's a respectable like four out of five. Nice. That's good. I love a good chocolate digestive. I think I've had the thins once, maybe at the cinema during an all-nighter. I think someone might have brought Ooh. a box. A good snack. If not myself, this would I be might a good have, because I've yeah. definitely brought Probably digestives you. before. <laughs> I didn't have a snack properly because, I don't know, I've been zoned out. The um, busy. <laughs> and I forgot. And then uh, <laughs> I went really literal with capsules and... <laughs> I've got my selection it. of vitamins that I take every... You got your vitamins? That's funny. <laughs> I'm a 31-year-old man. That's a good idea. And I need to take my vitamins. And I have not taken them today. And I'm not taking them probably in, in a few days because I've gotten bad in the last couple of weeks of keeping on top of them. So for you listeners out there, I'll tell you what <laughs> I normally take... <laughs> I've got so my got the Flintstone vitamin. Yeah, I've got like a vitamin C uh, chewable, and I've got a couple of and these look like bears, and it kind of works with Acura because the r- weird bear that uh kind of no Tetsuo sees the little kids turn into. Oh yeah, yeah so they're little yeah right yeah no, bear no. gummy sort of uh they're good for your hair, skin, and nails, you know, because I care about my hair. <laughs> I've got it. Yeah. I've got a vitamin. We've been, we've been on a vitamin vitamin kick lately, so we know what they all do. Yeah, I got a vitamin E. <laughs> I don't know what that does. Julia just gave um, me that. Cod liver oil. <laughs> oh man, I'm really good. Oh, that's good for you. And then uh because it's not sunny anymore, and also because my mother in law sent us ten billion packs of them. Vitamin D? <laughs> <laughs> got that D. Yeah. She sent us so much. Like literally, we had enough. And That's we hadn't sweet. gone through them because she sent us like a ton a couple of months ago and it was so much. And then literally the other day she sent us even more and it was just like, we haven't gone through them all. 
<laughs> so yeah. well she knows we live in a place that you know the sun never comes out yeah. so it's important to get your vitamin D well we're gonna take our capsules you gotta take the vitamin C nice. with the two gummies because the vitamin C is really intense flavored and the two oh. gummies are orange flavored as well and it sort of like chills it out good stuff and then you go nuts with the other three Swallow them all at the same time. Swallow them all. <laughs> no water. <laughs> and I'm giving this a zero out of five capsules because this is uh, not a real no snack fun. time. I'm just trying to care about my own health. Do you notice the difference with the vitamin? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everyone said. Like, I'm like, oh, I'd like, should I be taking vitamins? I feel like I should be taking vitamins. I need multivitamin ad, but I'm like, yeah. I don't know what they do. This feels really vague, feels like a scam. Yeah. And people who do take them, you know, they don't feel any different, but like, you don't stop taking them anyway. Yeah. Because you might feel worse. I uh, started taking them when I started to get around 30. And I was just like, oh, this is what 30 year olds do, right? And uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. Actually, you know what? Sometimes I feel like when I take them, I get depressed. But I don't know if it's just because I'm really depressed all the time anyway. So (laughs) (laughs) moving on. (laughs) Moving right along. Kanida's great though. I love Kanida. He's a great character. Kanida's great. Badass. Eat the motorcycle thug with a heart of gold. Yeah. Badass jacket. I've never seen someone in that. I mean, that definitely exists. Yeah. But like, you know, I've seen like the drive jacket loads of time. Yeah. I want to see someone walk in with the fucking Akira jacket. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen it in real life, but I know it exists because I've seen it uh, online. But I've never seen anyone like just out rocking one and I'd be badass. You know, if someone just like walked into the cinema or something. <laughs> one of those capsule jackets. <laughs> um, his crew, like we said, are the capsules. They're a biker gang. And... They're made up of some pretty funny characters, but particularly his, his like little his little brother almost. It's like his little brother. Yeah, they look out for each other. He's like the the little kid that gets picked on all the time, and he gets fed up, and he ain't having it anymore because he gets his magical uh, <laughs> brain powers, brain powers <laughs> and uh, <laughs> psychedelic powers to uh, not have to take take it anymore. And he starts to exactly take it out on everyone else, which is an abuse of those powers, mm. as you learn from those little kids. His name is Tetsuo Shima, played by Nozumu, Nozumu Sasaki. Uh, uh, S- ah, Sasaki. Sorry, Nozumu Sasaki. I can't think of. How, I can't think anymore. Yeah, uh, but yeah, <laughs> most notably, uh, Nozumu Sasaki played Yusuke Yurimishi. In Yu Yu Hakusho, which is a pretty badass show back in the day, say so myself. I remember catching that on the Toonami <laughs> drive every so often. It was pretty good. Yu Yu wow, Hakusho was pretty badass. <clears throat> yeah, so Tetsuo is. I'm from Wada, dude. <laughs> Tetsuo, yeah, no, it's so stupid <laughs> fucking orange bullshit. All this vitamin Shit's C. <laughs> but you have a lovely glow about you now, so it's working. <laughs> Um. Yeah, Tetsuo is such a badass character as well. <laughs> he's like, he's fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. He 
I don't know. Like he, he's a, he's like one of those characters that you sort of really care about a lot emotionally because it just seems like he has such a hard time. He's such a sad character, but he gets so badass. He's like, I don't know. Like (gasps) Superman, dude. Yeah. It is so fucking cool. Like I literally was just like, that's so cool. When he puts the cape on, and then, oh, and then he's like, destroyed the tank. Yeah, he destroys the tank. And then a little bit later, when uh, he gets blasted by that fucking like soul machine from that satellite. Oh yeah, and he just and like out of gets pissed, and he's like, huh, and then just like flies up, and then the sound stops. I and would forget that like, bit. Yeah, it, it's sort of like breathtaking, almost. It's just like, <gasps> and everything gets <laughs> silent. And he just flies off yeah. and then he just destroys it. It's so bad. <laughs> and it comes crashing. Yeah. I love it. And he just walked out of the wreckage. It's one of those, like, I know what happened in Akira. Yeah. I've seen it multiple times, but every time I sit there, like, mouth, like, like jaw dropping. Yeah. Like, I would forget that bit coming. I just, and even toward that bit, I'm like, he becomes such a badass, but like I get more and more anxious that the film goes on. Yeah. Like I could, the ending is like really nerve wracking. Yeah. And I know what's going to happen, but I just, I don't like watching. I find it really tragic, especially Tetsuo as the character. Like, cause you just, you, like you said, you feel for him. You understand where he's coming from. And even though he treats a lot of people like shit, like his girlfriend and Canada, his best friend, like, and at the end, there's some, you can see that he sort of starts to see, see things more clearly. And it, the power, he can't control the yeah. power. Swelling but, over him. Holy shit, and that amazing to watch. And again, like, it reminded me of, like, oh, Chronicle did this. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I was going to hopefully remember, I was thinking it was to, like, mention, like, films that have tried to do something similar, and you have Chronicle, Josh Trank's Chronicle, which I yeah. kind of liked. I like that movie. It's not brilliant but it's like it's a fun watch yeah but it's like akira did it way better yeah yeah absolutely it's amazing well i i've got a little bit about uh akira live action stuff later don't you worry but i feel like (laughs) that's the closest you're ever gonna get (laughs) yeah that that's kind of a shame but whatever apart from moment like that bit um right before the thought he you know he does the bridge he destroyed the bridge that very like x-men They've done that yeah. a few times. Yeah, yeah. The football stadium they've done in the X Men as well. Like they just, I, I think a lot of people rightly so take it from X. Absolutely, <laughs> it's so yeah. goddamn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you also have Kay, who is uh, the sort of Kay. wannabe love interest. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Hey, come on. Played by, play by uh, Mami Koyama, who I love. Who was in? Mm. Who played Arale in Doctor Slump and also Dragon Ball? When <laughs> yeah. she, for some reason, Goku goes to Penguin Village or whatever, and it's just like she appears <laughs> in his world, whatever. Cool. And then also she plays lunch in Dragon Ball as well. But yeah, uh, Kay is a funny character because she's like, she's like a part of this whole sort of group that's that like. The rebels, yeah. The rebels are going in to take out, like, to to try to take these children out of this and, and uncover what this this corporation, government the government, doing, yeah. basically, the government's doing with these children who are being held and experimented on and 
exploit it for their like psychic powers and you yeah. learn more and more. That's the thing about this film as well, because it is one of those films where you kind of need to pay attention to it. It's not like a straightforward film. There's a lot no, going no. on with it. And you learn as you go more about the story, which I really like as well, because you're like, for the most part, they're yeah. talking about Akira and all this sort of like government plans and stuff, but you don't really know what it is until much later. No. And it starts to really, even almost to the very end, really start to uh, explain more about what this is and what it was. And then even at the end, you don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> yeah. It, again, and again, like last week, leaves you open to interpretation of like kind of what really was going on, especially at the, the end time. and what it kind of means, which is very similar to 2001 A Space Odyssey. I'm sure you probably was slightly influenced by maybe that a little bit because it feels like it sort of. And I know a For lot sure. of uh, Japanese manga artists and all that were very much influenced by like Western sci-fi. And I mean, even in the film, like when Tetsuo is being checked on, like uh, when when they have him on the the table and they're doing all those tests and scans and stuff on him, the sound they use in that scene is from Alien, like a computer <laughs> from Alien, like literally taken. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're very funny. much influenced by uh, the Western culture and stuff. But um, yeah, like so, Kay's character sort of is a part of this renegade group, and it's very it's wild how much this film sort of like mirrors and feels so much like modern day right now, like with what's going on in Hong Kong, what's going on in Portland. You have Mm. the unrest of like these young students and stuff fighting against the government and stuff. And there's, and then you have the death cult. Absolutely. (laughs) That's with the Akira and they bow to it and they will do anything. They will follow it into the sun. And that's that very, like, prescient. It's kind of unnerving to what It's great to see how all mm. the faction interact yeah. with this one central idea of Akira and how they all, mm-hmm. I mean, they all, like, really come together at the end. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Kay is, like, sort of integral because she is a part of this group who you find out, and I found out more when I was doing a little bit of work about, it, like, work on this uh, episode, but, like, so you have the, I can't remember his name right now, and I didn't write his character down, but like he's the sort of government, uh, what is he like? He's not like a, he's like a weird. The colonel. Well, he's not the colonel, not the colonel, but there was the, um, you know, the guy with the sort of rabbit teeth, like the old man. Oh, he's the, sort of like the guy who with the briefcase at the end full of money. Yeah, he has all the money. He's taking all the pill. Um, yeah, so yeah, like he's, he's obviously works, he's like doing he's this, playing this sort of. Yeah, he's playing both sides of the government and then also this group to gain more power, basically, politically. Essentially. <laughs> and he's essentially just trying to get this group to go in. It's just like, it's crazy. Oh, it's so fucking, it, like, real. That does not end it's well so for real. him, man. His fucking death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, or he gets what he deserves, but fucked up. Yeah. Really fucked up. There's a lot and of fucked also, up deaths in this film, man. <laughs> I I mean, I mean, I just really, I remember that moment. I mean, Akira is one of those great things. Every time I watch it, I get something new out of it or at least I noticed the thing. And that moment like hit me different where like the guy running away and he tried to kill the head of the rebels and um, he like died in the street of like a heart attack or whatever. And then the rebels sort of followed him out and he, he'd been shot. He's dying. He got bloody footsteps and he walked out into the road and he did just a huge wave of people going like, 
like demonstrating, protesting, marching, like looking to take down the government. It's happening, like the revolution is happening. And he yeah. just gets to see it and then he dies. And I thought that was great. I never thought about that moment before. It's very like yeah. Moses in the Promised Land. Like it, everything he was building toward in that movie, even though we don't really get to see much time with him. But we know yeah. that's what that group is trying to do more through K. And even K, they really use toward the end. Like, yeah, using her as like a conduit for the yeah. experiment. Great. And you're kind of left to believe that maybe because the way she sort of tells uh, Kaneda, well, the. Um, Kaneda! Sorry, uh, <laughs> not she. Uh, Kyoko tells Kaneda at the end mm. that, like, oh, and your friend K, like, you know. And it sort of like alludes to the fact that maybe she has powers now because of her she had the power. connection to them. Because it seems like obviously Tetsuo, we didn't really mention this, but like when he ran into Takashi number 26, like had that collision mm. with him and that sort of sparked the powers. And it's not that like he was given everyone powers. Everyone has it. It was thing. like everyone has it. Yeah, it's latent powers, but that sort of sparked it. It brought it out. And then obviously them they need doing to be tests awakened, and all yeah. them. And they do too much, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he has basically the same pattern that Akira had, which is like exactly. what helps I love the music so every cool. time. Yeah, it's so cool. They look at the pattern, the weird <laughs> brainwave. I love that bit. Yeah. So you had uh, Colonel uh, Shikishima, who is uh, Taro Ashida, plays him. Uh, he basically looks like Zangief from uh, Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> True, but everyone <laughs> of a certain age in this movie looked the fucking thing. Yeah, everyone they do. Everyone had the crew Dude, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know who anyone is. <laughs> yeah. Apart from, like, Canada and shit. Yeah, like, Ryu. in K's crew, like, Ryu and uh, a few of those guys in that in that crew all kind of look like Ryu. They yeah, all exactly. have, like, sort of a mustache. And then, like, there was a few dudes who were, like, government employees or military soldiers or something who just were the exact same character, just... Literally the same, <laughs> same dude. Which I is saw fun. that and I'm like, everything I'm like, else is, is this pretty a money saving thing or is this a, a statement that, you know, all oh, the faceless, yeah. you know, the <laughs> faceless sheep. guy, the, exactly sheeple of the army and shit. Yeah. <laughs> They're all the same. Maybe. I mean, it yeah. is very political. It man. works both ways. Oh, yeah. man. It, it's yeah. very political. I love the politics of that. I'll get into it later. But oh, holy shit. It just. It's great, and yeah. I'm glad. Again, it, because they do it so well, you follow Canada dumbling into this thing. He doesn't know what the fuck, nor does he really care about anything that's going on. It's more of yeah. an inconvenience um, for them because they're just trying to get their kick, right? Yeah. And they're like at school and they don't want to give a shit. Um, but like through him, we stumble upon this huge government conspiracy, and he's like, yeah, headlong into it. And, um, and it's just the best way <laughs> to experience it because but he also needs to be in the middle of it because it's personal and he's the only one who can get and connect to Tetuo. Yeah. Um, and then sadly enough, it's the only one who can get close enough to try and kill him. Again, yeah, just real yeah. again, like the oh, it's like Greek tragedy sort of absolutely level at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, really, really sad and sort of depressing, especially when they sort of go into like Kanida and Tetsuo's like childhood and stuff because they're the flashback from sort of like a home, you know, of like Her, orphan kids and or like foster kids, foster kids, and yeah, like just it's it's so sweet. Like when Kanida like just comes up to him and hands him the toy, 
and just sort of like, this is yours, right? And he's like, yeah, those guys yeah. are jerks. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, they always oh. pick, I'm new here too. Yeah. Yeah. So That's sweet. Really sweet. They were in it yeah. together. Yeah. The Colonel uh, Shikishima guy is such an asshole. <laughs> he's such, such a dick, man. Like, <laughs> such a dick. And you get, but like, I understand his motivation. You understand mm-hmm. what he's trying to avoid, but he's willing to take over yeah. everything to do it. And he's horrible, just so fucked up, horrible <laughs> man. And he just—it's like a military coup at the end. Just, just yeah, just yeah, like mine. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's sort of like the scary thing as well, because you always have like, obviously, there's a revolution going on, and it like fucking mirrors so much of like what's going on around the world right now in many different places. And then you obviously have these like renegade sort of people who are like just really mm-hmm. deep in who are just like doing some really sort of insane stuff that I don't even think most of the government even knew what was going on. Like with the Oculus program and all that, like they didn't know. And he's no. just like in control has way too much power and is trying to keep it. And like, for what really for what it's very MK ultra, like it is crazy, like the whole idea of like fucking with these kids and stuff and exploiting sort of psychic powers Definitely. and like obviously like I guess the idea is sort of to weaponize it, but at the same time, like why and how? Like what are like what's the purpose of this? It's just like it's it's intense yeah, and insane and it's insane. But, but that's the whole thing. Like that parallels with MK Ultra, but the whole thing is like I mean it's man playing God, but it's about Yeah like nuclear war and it's important that absolutely it's a, it's a japanese movie the movie mm-hmm. it, the story can only be told from japan the only country to be hit with like an atomic yeah. bomb and yeah. this like horrible cycle of violence that the world has entrenched itself in where they keep creating weapons to use those weapons in order to not have these weapons it's like what absolutely. do you do what this power you shouldn't have but you keep cultivating it and then yeah. are surprised when things go like things get fucked up and you're essentially creating the huge huge conflict like you the, the movie starts with world war three and then it yeah. basically ends with another one like it gets really big it like and it, it's great it's it just there's so much to it like that even that that's a really like surface level reading of no story but no like but absolutely i was gonna say that as so well much. that like it can only be like you said it only be done in japan because it is very much a product of a like otomo growing up like in a world he was born i think in the 50s so a few years Mm -hmm. after uh world war ii but it was after the hiroshima and nagasaki bombings and it's but still it's like there is a deep scar in the psyche of japan from the atomic bomb droppings and like it's something i don't know will ever go away and it's influenced their culture so much particularly their media and stuff that they put out like i mean just think about almost everything that like you probably love like uh from films to like anime to manga like so much is influenced by the fact that there was those atomic bomb droppings, like just thinking about like, you know, like even, I mean, the most obvious is like Godzilla. It's like, (laughs) it's like in your face, like right there, but this is very much so. I mean that like the film starts with like, basically this, what looks like an atomic bomb. Uh, I think the further you get along, you start to learn a little bit more 
that maybe it's not necessarily World War III, but uh, maybe some little boy named Akira getting a bit Akira. wild with his powers. Uh, who entered Akira? <laughs> you also have uh, Ryu, who is, or Ryusuke, who's, who's um, Kei's like the older guy who's sort of a part, her partner in this mm. group, this uh, renegade group. Um, she, yeah, he's played by Tetsusho Ginda. And I just want to say this dude has like hilarious, hilarious credits over in Japan. So basically, he's like the Kevin Conroy of Japan, where he is oh, okay. Batman in almost like every Batman release. He's oh, really? Like that's Bat- funny. Every Batman dub. Voice. So that's cool. That's really that's cool. But then also, he's known for dubbing like a lot of like he's like the go-to guy for dubbing a lot of English uh, films for big stars like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> like he's the go-to uh, guy. That's hilarious. That's funny. It's so funny. <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah. I can hear it now. I can kind of <laughs> I can try and think. That's yeah. really interesting. Otomo was a big fan of the manga Tetsujin 28 Go, which means Iron Man number 28. <laughs> So there was Go. a lot of characters' <laughs> names that were directly borrowed from Tetsujin 28 Go. This is like an old 60s or 50s or 60s manga that he like grew up with. And uh, the lead character's name was Kanida Shotaro. You had a character oh, named nice. Ryu. You had, pr- instead of Colonel Shikishima, there was uh, Professor Shikishima. And the Professor Shikishima's son in that uh, series was called Tetsuo. So he basically oh, nice. like just nicked all those. Plus in Akira, <laughs> you have the three children, which I sort of briefly talked about. We have Kyoko, who is number 25. Basically, mm. they, obviously they've gotten up to 25 experiments. The next one's Takashi, 26. So he's the boy that uh, Tetsuo sort of runs into. And then probably mm. one of my favorites is Masaru, number 27. He's in the little hovercraft thing. He's yeah, just, I don't know. He reminds me of like Eric Cartman. There's something about, about, him. about to say, dude. That, that, it's just like this <laughs> like, is Cartman, right? Every time I see him, it's just like this is Cartman. <laughs> reminds me of Cartman in like the World of Warcraft episode, yeah. where he like can't leave his desk because he's yeah. gotten so fat. <laughs> oh, he's just really funny looking. This kid. Yeah. Plus, they just they're all funny looking because they just look like old weird ghouls. looking. They're just like yeah, they ghouls. still freak me out every time they yeah. show up. I love like. My favorite thing this time watching it was Dusty hadn't seen it. So she got to watch it for the first time. And I just loved watching her watch it. I finally yeah. had to give it to someone else. Like yeah. my brother gave it to me. And just like when the Takahashi showed up, she's like, what the fuck? Like, what am I looking at? Like, is that a kid? <laughs> like, it's great. Cause it's just, it's just still weird. It's so yeah. fucking weird. So and you strange. don't get used to it throughout the whole movie. It's just like their youth and life has just been sucked out of them. It's like crazy. They look yeah. insane. Like Kyoko just in the bed, like spitting knowledge, but she's just too weak. She's dropping bombs. <laughs> yeah. She's just weak. They can't do anything. They can't even walk in their children, but they're so mentally advanced, right? They've, mm-hmm. they've, they, I mean, they all just, they ascend their physical form at that yeah. point. It doesn't even matter. Like, it's so much bigger picture. Absolutely, like, yeah. We are this thing and we can never die, but it's like when and how we can use this power. 
it's sort of like like I was saying, like last week you had this sort of like Teddy what bear. do you become <laughs> what do you become when you uh like or what does Dave Bowman become when he becomes like sort of the star child and he comes back? He's like we were talking about with Nasuf, he's sort of like the spirit energy, sort of that's just beyond mm. body and form. It's just spirit, power, energy. That fucked with his ex-wife TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still need to, I want to watch 2010 now. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would do. If I was tech duo, I would just be like hanging out people down and, and just like flicking <laughs> shit off and on and moving yeah. stuff just to fuck with them. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's funny that, that's sort of the same sort of vibe here with these like what that energy sort of becomes like with akira who i was going through the numbers so you had 25 26 and 27 are the three children and if you look at the big sort of like i don't know like uh tomb encasing sort of crazy vault being kept under the yeah yeah. under the stadium um under the olympic stadium and yeah yeah it's like this frozen uh tomb almost yeah, and his number, it says number 28 on it, which is a direct reference to Tetsujin 28 Go, Iron Man number 20, 28, which is... We got that. Like I said, Otomo, big fan. Uh, the animation, though, for this film was so far ahead of its time. It's insane. I, I still like think that a lot of films would be hard-pressed to like look as cool to this day. I know oh, that we're definitely. living in a world of... CGI computer animated stuff that can look amazing and get really realistic. And I mean, even like sometimes when you look back at things like even Toy Story back in 1995, yeah, that looks incredible. It looks incredible look great, apart yeah. from like the humans, the um, people, but yeah. like the toys look amazing. But this yeah. film is insane. The movie consists of 2,212 shots and 160,000 single pictures. Which is two to three times more than normal. the The thing was, anim- animation they t- typically go from ones or twos. It's like the term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in like ones would be like every single frame is different. So at like twenty four frames per second, you'll have twenty four individual and unique drawings. And twos, that's something that holds for two frames rather than one. So so we'd have a total of like twelve individual drawings within that second it changes how fluid it looks. And this film went course, single. Yeah. So it was just really fucking fluid and looks amazing. Whereas you'll have some older animation or cheaper, like cheaply done animation and stuff that would just be done on twos. And it would just be yeah, a little bit more wonky or whatever. But that, that great example recently, I know, I know loads of videos to pointed it out, but it's still interesting that that bit in into the Spider-Verse where Peter is teaching Miles to swing and Peter mm. It's animated in one because he's smooth um, yeah. and mild and animated in two, so it's choppy and weird and it looks stilted yeah. and stiff compared to Peter. And as he improves, it's gradually um, changing into one and then they're yeah. operating on the same level. So, like, if you just want a visual comparison, that's a good theme Absolutely, to uh, yeah. look at. So a lot of your old Disney films and stuff like you grew up with is like these old cartoons and stuff that were still sell animation cartoons were done mm. in ones and that's why they are pretty good. But obviously Disney was like cutting corners by recycling <laughs> animation a lot because <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of the films, you you know, you you look back and you see that like the Aristocats are doing the same dance that uh, Blue and 
Mowgli are doing when they're singing the bare necessities. So it's, it's kind of funny. And also Robin hood as well. They use that same, that same sequence a lot, but, uh, yeah, still impressive single images, but this film went like beyond. (laughs) It's insane. (laughs) It also used 327 different colors, which is a record for an animated film. 50 of those colors were created exclusively for the film. And the reason for this, I didn't know there were that many colors. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I think the reason for this was because most of the movie takes place at night as well. So that setting is traditionally avoided by animators because of the increased color requirements to like make things look Mm -hmm. different shade. He said, fuck it. Let's make Neo Tokyo look better than anyone would ever make it look like. I mean, it's Ever. insane. Still. <laughs> it's so cool. It looks so cool, man. Like when they're going through the streets on the bikes and stuff and like the fucking with the lines. light trail. Yeah, the light oh. trails and then like you have the neon and ah and then the music's just like fucking pumping. It's just like, yeah, so cool. So fucking cool. It's just in. It's amazing and like yeah. the slow motion, especially like on that motorcycle fight where you're like jumping and fucking kneeing people off their <laughs> yeah. fucking bike and the head's getting taken off and you're like yeah holy shit what am i watching it's amazing it still looks amazing it's still yeah. a time where like animation is shot on film as well which is nice mm. there's, there's like a grain in it to it but yeah the all the colors and the camera move that the just life to it even though it's just 2d still drunk that it's amazing and it still holds up i wish there's yeah. still i mean there is obviously especially in japan but like I feel like there's not a base for it cinematically much anymore for like yeah. traditional 2D animation like that. Still exists in TV, obviously, and there's some yeah. great shit on TV, but like, mm-hmm. holy shit, it's just a wonder to be to be in Acura. You can't like, yeah, it's like Absolutely. again, like 2001. I watch it, I'm like, I don't know how you did that, and I've seen videos like breaking <laughs> yeah. it down, and I still don't really understand how yeah, they yeah, yeah. pulled it off. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it's just insane. Like, I always sort of get floored when I see, like, animation being done anyway, especially, like, old cell animation. It just looks incredible. But then when you have someone that just sort of, like, breaks the mold and then recreates it in a new fucking way, like Akira does, it's just like, what? Like, it's crazy all the stuff they were doing with it. And there was even some early CGI used, like, to animate that pattern, like, the Akira, like, pattern indicator, this that uh, his sort of like life force that yeah, uh, yeah. Dr. Onishi was using. But it was uh, additionally used CGI a little bit to plot paths of like falling objects and also effects on the background and also to tweak lighting and lens flare. So there was a little bit of CGI used, but most of it was cell animation. Otomo is like his claim to filled over 2000 pages of a note of notebooks like containing various ideas and character designs for the film. But the final storyboard consisted of a trimmed down 738 pages. Obviously he was working alongside of his insane manga that was incomplete at the time um, that he also had information for. Uh, And one of the biggest challenges Otomo faced was coming up with an ending for the film because he hadn't finished the manga yet. So, He later recalled that the film uh, project had to begin with the writing of an ending that would bring suitable closure to major character storylines and themes without being extraordinarily lengthy so that he could know in reverse order which manga elements would make the cut into the anime and thus suitably resolve the manga's various elements into their 
basically a lean two two hours story. Uh, yeah. And then also like he would go on afterwards to try to complete the manga, but he struggled a bit because obviously he completed the end of the story in the film, but he almost had to like do the work again to complete it in the manga. And he was really struggling. And apparently he had a conversation in 1990 with Alejandro Jodorowsky that okay. <laughs> gave him sort of inspiration for the conclusion that he would do in the manga, which I think was slightly different. And because of what he learned and what he did in the film, he was able to like flesh it out more. And a lot of people seem to really like the ending that he came up with in the manga. So if you're a fan of Akira, if you like manga as well, it's apparently well worth checking out. I myself have not read it, but yeah. It's apparently pretty awesome. And Jodorowsky helped, which is pretty crazy. Maybe he was telling him about like his struggles with Dune or something. (laughs) (laughs) So we were talking about the music. Oh, my God. Akira, original soundtrack or Symphonic Sweet Akira, which is a great name. Symphonic Sweet Akira was recorded by the the Gino Yamashiro Gumi. Uh, It's a Japanese musical collective consisting of apparently hundreds of people from all walks of life that work together there's like journalists doctors engineers students businessmen whatever just working together to create music and stuff uh the main music uh, was composed and conducted by the musical director shoujo yamashiro who is the founder of the gino yama uh yamashiro gumi and the soundtrack draws heavily from like traditional indonesian gamelan music and then also just like elements of japanese music and um, like no music and then also modern like sounds and music and uh, soundscapes and using like just like computer generated sound effects and all that sort of stuff apparently they had created this really amazing album and uh, Otomo found it and was like just like just couldn't believe the sounds that they had created so he was just like wanted them to do this film and they just created like such an amazing score it's unbelievable it just like from start to finish especially the end it just like at the end of the film we just sat there me and Julia were just like watching the credits sort of like whoa (laughs) (laughs) mind blowing dude so they create this like sonic landscape almost it's not just like individual song it's this thing Mm -hmm. that yeah like you said well it's like it's like this like I don't want it it's not like uh, the only term I want. I want to keep calling it metal machine music, but I know it's not like <laughs> that fucking Lou Reed album. But it's that. It's like using all these org- organic and inorganic sound as part yeah. of the score and the music that the. It's a natural music that the city lives in. It's the, it's the motorcycles and it's the computers and it's footsteps and it's people's voices. And the score is so overwhelming. Like, I know a lot of them, um, they've redone the sound multiple times. And yeah. when people don't, people tend to have problems with it, if that they like to sort of dampen the score in some cuts. But it needs to be really overwhelming. It needs to be yeah, like, yeah. to the point where you can't even hear the dialogue in some scenes. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I it's like I think the like when I recently watched it, it was like a newer 
a newer cut because it looked yeah. incredible. It wasn't it wasn't the 4K one, I don't think, but might have been. No, I got a, a sure. blue. I got I I used it and excuse to buy it on Blu-ray, and I don't know yeah. what when I, whenever this came out, it had actually multiple uh, versions of the soundtrack yeah. on this. Yeah. But I just went with the and the dubbed and the sub uh, subtitled one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's like it's crazy though. The music is just like so integral to the film. Like, but similar to the film's dialogue, the soundtrack was actually completed before the composers even read the script. So that's probably why it feels so like a fucking thing that like was worked with and edited to fit certain sequences in the film. Like, mm. it's fucking brilliant, man. Like, it adds okay. so much. Like, if you took this score out and you like just gave it sort of. I don't know, just a basic score, the film will still be ace, but like you add the score in and that's like what helps it become a masterpiece. Like it's yeah. insane. It's such a like takes it to another it. level. Absolutely. So Akira's budget was originally around five hundred million yen, but it ended up costing around seven million seven hundred million, which is about five point five million dollars. Uh they basically took that extra money for corrections that were done on the film. That sounds like not that much really. But this, of course, at the time was the most expensive anime film up until the up until then, surpassing Miyazaki's Laputa Castle in the Sky, which was done for about 500 million yen. And a year later, it was surpassed by Miyazaki, who (laughs) did Kiki's Delivery Service, (laughs) (laughs) which is incredible as well. So yeah. the budget had been long disputed, though, with like rumors lasting for years and years, like literally up until 2020, that it cost 1.1 billion yen. And I had to do some searching for this because I kept getting misleading numbers. I kept seeing 1.1 billion yen, but then I would see 500 million yen and 700 million yen like being quoted. And I'm like, well, what is it? So that led me down this weird little rabbit hole where I found out that... uh Around the time of the 4K remaster release back in June of 2020, mm. the film's executive producer had actually cleared up some of the rumors oh, with cool. the help of a researcher. Like, because basically he was like, <laughs> it did not cost that much. I don't know how much it cost, but it didn't. And then the research, the researcher who's just this nerd for Otomo, like, like figured it out, found it. He found like a letter or something that one of the other producers had written to uh, to the to production company or whatever, basically saying this is like how much. Like it costs, and it was the 500 million yen plus they added like a couple extra 100 million yen to do the corrections on the film. So there <laughs> okay. you have it. Uh, it's not 1.1 billion yen, which is around 10 million dollars. And that's sort of like what's always floated. It's like nine to 10 million. Either way, so it's like it doesn't sound like that much money, but for an anime, I guess it is a lot. I know they are really expensive these days. Like, you know, they get yeah. more and more expensive, but they make a lot more money, I guess. I don't know. Akira was released by Toho in July of 1988 at the Japanese box office. It was a moderate success coming in about six highest grossing Japanese film of the year. Uh, it wasn't like this big, like huge <laughs> success that they thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, distributors had a really tough time marketing it and selling it in the West due to its graphic and adult themes. Uh, they were the like, cartoon, well, but it's not for kids. <laughs> yeah, it's not for kids. What are we doing with this? It was eventually picked up by Streamline Pictures in America in 1989. So a year after its, its release, it finally made it out in America. And they made the first English language dub, which was done by Electric Media uh, who was working for Kudnasha, who was one of the companies that was a part of the Acura committee 
to help fund the film. And it earned around $1 million at the box office in America. And it finally reached the UK in 1991, uh, making about 878,000 uh, pounds. Overall, the film probably made an estimated $25 million, like in its sort of initial run. So it, it mm-hmm. made its money back. It just really wasn't a success, but it became like this huge cult like film, yeah. really. And that's where we're at today. And it's gotten released that's multiple we come times. In. And it's, it's <laughs> made that money back like so many times now, I'm sure, because it keeps getting re released year after, like you know, over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. In 2001, though, this is where I found the film around this time. Pioneer released a new English dub which is referred to as like the Pioneer dub. The old dub is referred to as a Streamline dub. The Pioneer dub was done by Animes and ZRO Limit Productions, and it was presented in select theaters from about March through December of 2001, and it started to get a bit of a ground. And then you would see like the DVD was released, and that's where I first found it. And, I think uh, that's where my brother first found it. Yeah. Area. So... This will be a dub a lot of people knew and it would kind of help with that anime boom as with like a lot of anime though, this like film finds itself in a big, like heavy subs versus dubs battle. Uh, And then also dubs versus dub. (laughs) 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 I think obviously I think most people prefer the original Japanese version with the subtitles because that's Mm. like the pure film. I mean, generally, yeah. Like if you want to be safe, just go with the dub. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. if you're going with the dub, it can be a, a tricky minefield. Could yeah, be yeah. really bad and distracting. Absolutely. So there are people who love the dubs. The streamlined mm. dub is pretty silly. It's very low budget sounding as well. It's not as crisp. I don't know. I like the streamlined dub reminds me of a lot of stuff that I watched as a kid. I didn't see this growing up, but it reminds me of a lot of stuff I saw as a kid. Like that's mm. just really badly done. <laughs> Yeah, but if you grew up with it, you're probably gonna love it. You know, it's like one of those weird things. And then Pioneer is a little bit more serious, a little bit better quality sounding, and it also is a little bit more true to the Japanese version. Mm. So I don't know, whatever. I like I like Um, both. I've seen both. I I don't think I've seen the Dreamline one. I've seen the Pioneer (laughs) dub, and yeah, it's not. I've watched it both ways, and I like I like it both ways. Honestly, yeah. It was like one of those weird, like the Pioneer one was one of those weirdly like good dubs. I remember like <laughs> as a kid, like, cause you would get some dubs that were just trash, man. Yeah. But it was good. It was good. Apart man. from the kid, the kid, the weird in it. Really <laughs> yeah. It's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's Kids just are like, always so, weird. Though, it's just creepy. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> no avoiding, especially yeah. when they're old somehow. What? <laughs> so uh, obviously the film is regarded as one of the greatest anime films of all time. And it was really, like I said earlier, integral in increasing the popularity of anime in the U.S. and outside, mm. like outside of Japan, the West, basically. It really set the scene for anime franchises such as like your Pokemons, your Dragon Balls, your for Naruto's sure, to become like global cultural phenomena. And it would go on to be one of the cornerstones of the cyberpunk genre. Which yeah. You mentioned like it very much influenced things like The Matrix. And it's also often regarded for its influence alongside Blade Runner in 2001 A Space Odyssey as being like cornerstones of the sci-fi genre. Uh, It's also influenced everything from like Batman the Animated Series. Like, yeah, there are literally shots of like that were taken from Kaneda, like, you know, just cruising like (laughs) down and like 
whipping his bike that Robin does him in a Batmobile episode. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's cool. And then obviously like modern day stranger things, like how much did stranger things Nick from this film? I know it's really frustrating to watch. Cause I got, (laughs) I I got tired of stranger things and I'm like, Oh, I didn't even, I didn't, it had been a while that I hadn't remembered, but then watching it, I'm like, Oh fuck. They literally did all the (laughs) (laughs) That's annoying. Yeah. And then uh it also inspired like the Japanese cyber- cyberpunk like movement with works like Ghost in the Shell, Battle Angel, Alita, Cowboy Bebop. So it's yeah, yeah it's an important piece of culture. And it's also odd because the film is set in the year 2019 and in the film the Olympics are meant to take place in Neo Tokyo the next year. And much like in real life the 2020 Olympics ah. were meant to take place in Tokyo. Isn't that weird? Did you think they knew that? I don't know. It's really weird. I think if that was they, intentional, it was like 2012, I think, or I can't. I did read the year. It was like 2012 to 17. I can't remember in that sort of ballpark mm. of the year it was selected to be in Japan, and they like someone noticed. Oh yeah, like it was t- supposed to be 2020 in Akira. That's really weird. That's really but like, strange. you know, could countries like campaign for it, right? Or where Japan, yeah. like, come on, you have to give it to us because it's like that movie we did. <laughs> we won't bury, we won't put anything underneath the stadium, we promise. Yeah, there, it was just interesting because in 2019, Neo Tokyo, there was so much, you know, uh, unrest going on <laughs> with, you know, the government and protesters mm-hmm. and this whole Akira thing. And you had the like the weird religious cults and blah, blah, blah. And then obviously Tetsuo loses his fucking mind and destroys the city. <laughs> yeah. Let's just blow everything up. Kills so many and then, people and catastrophe strikes. And then in, in real life, 2020, the Olympics are supposed to happen. A virus comes. They cancel the Olympics. In Akira, there is a shot that shows a signage board that counting, that counts down the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, the days until the Olympics and the sign reads 147 days until the games. And then it encourages citizens to lend their support in making the event a success. This is all written in Japanese, but underneath it, there's a message in graffiti that reads, just cancel it. And back in February, 2020, exactly 147 days out from the 2020 Olympics with the games being you know talked about possibly canceled to stop the spread of the virus just cancel it was a top trend uh, on twitter in japan which is amazing and that's how important this film really is it was so important in fact that over the years live action adaptations have been in the works for ages with sony buying the rights in 19 in the 1990s at some point and then in 2002, Warner Brothers acquired it, which they still own the rights for, mm. uh, for a seven-figure deal. And the film has pretty much been stuck in developmental hell with numerous failed attempts from probably five different directors and 10 different writers attached. Leonardo DiCaprio was yeah. really keen on getting wow. it made in the mid-2000s. Is he going to be Canada? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know uh, if he wanted to just get it made or if he oh, wanted to be so in it. He wanted to the play closest, Akira. Yeah. I could play a little boy. <laughs> the closest it seemed like it was going to get made was about 2011 to 2012. 
Keanu Reeves was attached to star as maybe Kaneda, which is weird. Why are we casting old grown men to be biker kids? But whatever. Exactly. He could totally produce it. He could do because he's done yeah. like, you know, Ronan yeah. 47 and all the films, The Man of Tai Chi. I don't mind him being a part of it. I just don't think mm. he should be Kaneda. You just need young people to play these roles. Yeah. And then and not white people. <laughs> yeah, well, here we go. There was a lot of whitewashing issues because there was people that were approached like Michael Fassbender's Michael Fassbender. Get the fuck out of here. Andrew Garfield, Chris Pine, <sighs> Joaquin Phoenix, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> yeah, so there was a lot of flack that it was gonna be looking like it was a whitewash. You know, they did that. They did that with. They've done it before. They did it with Ghost in the Shell, and that turned out perfectly. Yep. Uh, Eventually, people got excited though, thinking that Christopher Nolan was going to work on the project because Warner Brothers had this like big thing going on with him, and uh, it turned out he was just making Dunkirk. (laughs) Yeah. The studio did approach George Miller from Mad Max fame. All right. Of Babe fame. Of Babe fame, but he was too busy <laughs> thinking about making a Babe three quarter. Three. Uh, yeah, three quarter. Pick them space. <laughs> and they also right. reached out to Jordan Peele, but that, that's what I was thinking basically, of. Yeah, he was like, I just want to work on original content. I don't really want to adapt something. Fair enough. Yeah. Finally, in 2019, it was confirmed that Taika Waititi, who. Mind you, a lot of these guys are big fans of the film. Like Jordan Pill apparently was a big fan of Akira. Taika Waititi apparently is a huge, huge fan of Akira. And it was meant to have a 21st of May 2021 release date. It was all set. It looked like it was going to get made. But then Waititi yeah. was announced to direct Thor, Love and Thunder. And he put the project on hold and said that it will probably be another two years or so if he even is still involved before it got made. Yeah. So I just want to say this, Phil, in the spirit of the Olympics, <laughs> just cancel it. Just cancel it. And come see Akira at the Prince Charles Cinema with this new digital restoration from Friday, the 23rd of October. And hey, a lot of those screenings sold out really quick. So we added another friggin' week and a half of screenings. So from Friday the 23rd to the 12th of November, there's screenings of Acura and this new digital restoration that apparently looks stunning and brilliant and sounds amazing at the Prince Charles Cinema. Tickets are available at princecharlescinema.com. Do it. Just do it. Don't think about it. If you've seen it, watch it again. If you haven't seen it, there's going to be a way to see it. You don't want a shitty remake. You want to see the original in all its fucking 4k glory see that's, that's what, what we're giving just you. re-release it blow people's mind because like you don't need it doesn't need to be made live action i don't care i don't want to no. see this live action i don't i really don't care i could be slightly interested to see what someone like a taika waititi would do with it because he mm. also lambasted uh ghost in the shell not because it was whitewashed he didn't really bring that up but he did say that it was exactly the same almost beat for beat as the anime. And he was That's like, why point. would I don't do like the same thing? And if I do Acura, I don't want to do exactly the same movie live, but live yeah. action. Like I would change it up a little bit. 
mm. which is interesting. I'd like to see what he had in mind, but at the same time, yeah, it's fine. I don't need to see it. I'm happy to watch the anime because it's badass. It looks cool. Yeah. Uh, I could say that you could have fun like you did last week with 2001 Space Odyssey if you catch my drift. And uh, you'd have yeah. a great old time because it's very colorful. Although, I don't know, you, maybe not. You might have a bad time. Because it's yeah, scary. Um, it's trippy. Scary. <laughs> and oh, it's trippy for sure. And then, you know, she's some not very nice bits and really, you know, that's violent towards women and whatnot. And then, and it really yeah, would absolutely. take you harsh your butt. And you definitely don't absolutely. want that. But <laughs> shit blowing up and like existential crisis galore. You know, yeah. if you're into that, do that shit. Absolutely. <laughs> this film rules. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got going on, Phil? You're going to be at the cinema soon. I'm going to be Where working, people man. Find <laughs> people find me back in the usual spot on Twitter and now at the Prince Charles Cinema. Don't come in and say hi. But if you're there, anyway, if you have a ticket, wave. Wave at safe yeah. distance behind the mark. Um, um, I don't, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm nervous, dressed out. I don't, we had like a training day and I completely forgot how to fucking use the till. So like, <laughs> um, this is going to be like a big adjustment for me, um, Absolutely. but hopefully it'll be okay. Well, we'll find out next week how you do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You'll hear from me first. Of course. Man. Um, yeah. What about you? You're, you're working from home. So you don't get to enjoy home. the sights and sounds. <laughs> yeah. I basically just look out of a window all day. Uh, <laughs> at, at some stairs that go up to my neighbors <laughs> it's kind of that's me i'm stuck at my desk but they're day. really nice stairs <laughs> not really kind of metal and gross looking um yeah no i'm working from home so yeah not really doing much uh working a lot lately so i've been kind of like and also just watching baseball until the wee hours of the mornings and uh i'm exhausted but hopefully I'll figure out things when baseball's over and I'll <laughs> get back to normal <laughs> sleep, which is should be very soon. Um, but in the meantime, hey, hey, over on that patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast, we just released the game plan. Pro Wrestlers versus Movies Part 2, the game plan for the successful movie career about 2007 film game plan with The Rock. Because why not talk about The Rock in a really... Why not? <laughs> fun Disney movie go check it out patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast for five dollars or more a month we're giving you bonus episodes Phil and I are going to be on there very very soon to talk about some Ewoks because we have to and uh, towards the end of the month hey we're going to be dropping Fast Five the fifth film in that series series that is badass over there I'm telling you guys Uh, support the podcast if you can you can find me at tall for all T-A-L the number four A-L-L on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And as always, you can find the podcast at the PCC Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can pop us an email if you want as well. Podcast at PrinceCharlesCinema.com Let us know how much you enjoy your edibles uh, watching Acura. I don't know what edibles really do to you. I've never had one. Uh, and that's what I'm going to end this episode on, on my sadness that um, I've never had an edible. <laughs> that could all change. That can all change. It's never too late, man. It's already begun. Am I right? <laughs> it's Akira, already begun. 2020. <laughs> <laughs>
Here Let's we do go. it. Linda. Yeah. Right. I'm Tetsuo. I gotta go get this lift. I'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs>